0: Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast, by guitarists for guitarists, and now your hosts, John Brown and Al Levy.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We've been running conversations with some of the best guitar players in the game for over a year now. Not only has this been amazing for myself and Al to learn from, but it's been amazing for us to share this vast knowledge with all of you. If you enjoy what we're doing, then please share us with your friends. And we especially love iTunes reviews. Remember that you can tag us if you want to share the podcast on your Instagram. You can find me at Brown Monuments. That's B R O W N E M O N U M E N T S. And you can find AL at AL Levy U R M Audio. That's E Y A L L E V I U R M A U D I O. Always remember that we will never charge you for this podcast. So please keep listening and enjoying. All we ask in return is a share, post, and a tag. Anyway, let's get on to this week's guest.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guests today are Ash Gray and Ben Thomas from the band Venom Prison. Here goes Ash and Ben, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Thank you for having us. Hello. Thanks for being here. Let's get right into it. I. Listened to you guys, and the first thing I thought to myself was, "These are very cool riffs. They sound tight as fuck. Super well played, um, super well picked, super well arranged. Just good quality stuff." And so, before anything else, I just wanted to hear about your approach towards writing and also playing the riffs that that you guys write because even though they're not, you know, it's not like the most insane stuff ever, like Arcspire or whatever, to actually pull off that genre to where it sounds that clear and that tight, super difficult, and it doesn't happen by accident. So I want to hear about what your, your approach is with actually pulling it off some. Wow, I think that's the nicest
2: thing anyone's ever said to me. Yeah, I was going to say I almost started crying then. <laughs> <laughs> the writing approach... It's always me and Ben. We always get together.
0: Do you want a nightcap? You want to come over later? Okay.
2: <laughs> I, might, I, might need, I might need to. <laughs> you know, it's always me and Ben, and we have our own little setups at home, and we always bounce ideas back and forth to each other. But nothing ever really fruitions until, you know, we're actually together in the same room. And I'm sure Ben agrees that our styles are very, very different. The way I think we even think and approach things are very different. But we're always on the same page, if that makes sense. We always kind of like each other's ideas and we always like where something's heading. And it's like our bassist always says, he always he can always identify who's written what parts. And, you know, when lockdown was in, it was kind of more, you know, writing on our own as such. So we were writing songs and it was funny because if we put them in a folder, our bassist was literally picking them through, knowing who did what song and stuff. So. Just from hearing them. Yeah, yeah. just from hearing them. And I think that's a big factor to a Venom Prison song is that I feel me and Ben have this really good connection when it comes to writing. And I feel that we write differently, but we're always after the same thing, if that makes sense.
0: So is it that there are the Ash songs and there are the Ben songs and that's that? Or is it more like... Uh, there are the Ash parts and the Ben parts and you guys basically help each other craft something that's kind of beyond what either of you would do on your own. I'd say the second.
2: I think a song doesn't really get, you know, there's not many songs that would be written on our own as such or finalized on our own because I think it, it is always just like, you know, Ben always has his input on something I've done. I always have my input on something he's done. So it's kind of like When we start writing together, there could be a section I've done that would suit something Ben has done or vice versa. It kind of just always has to go with the song. And, you know, that's just the way it's always gone.
0: How is the input typically delivered? I mean, I'm sure that it's different in different cases. But, like, say that you don't like one of each other's ideas or you feel that someone's idea doesn't fit the song or it's just incomplete. I guess. Like it, like it's a cool direction, but it's just not totally there. Like, do you have a process by which you tackle these topics?
2: I think me and Ben are like very transparent with each other. I think, you know, the end goal is
0: to make the best thing that, you know, you can both create together. So yeah. But what if you disagree? Like, what (laughs) if you think that, You have what is going to fulfill that angle of making the best thing. He's got his idea, which he thinks is going to make it the best thing. You're both on the same page about making the best thing, but how to make the best thing is what's, uh, what is in dispute. I mean, that has to happen at some point. That's like part of every creative collaboration. I would find it hard to believe that that never happens. The best partnerships involve people who figure out how to make that work in their favor. So here's how you guys approach it.
3: I'm trying to think of the time it happened, Ash. I mean...
2: I know, I know. As he was saying that then, I was like, yo, we really haven't. Amazing.
3: We have literally never had... A fight, or like I, I, I've been in bands before where like I've seen band members screaming at each other, and you know people are so passionate about one idea or another. Maybe it's because predominantly we write alone. There's probably a mutual understanding of like we both want what is right for the song. There's no ego involved. Uh, we've both kind of done it long enough to sort of know, and we've seen that behavior with other maybe in previous bands, and we kind of know that shit just isn't really. That healthy
2: we've got that respect for each other's you know ideas and inputs and you know ben will trust my judgment on something and i'll trust his judgment on something and you know that is kind of how venom prison has you know that sound and kind of those layers to it because we do totally different things but we know how to kind of find that middle ground to kind of balance what that venom prison sound is you know
3: yeah, I think there was like, so there's like the early days of writing where we haven't had a chance to sort of sit together and one song will sound very me and then one song will sound very you. It's only kind of until actually we then get together and then it's sort of, we put each other's flavour on each each bit. That's kind of the point where collaboration really kind of, I think that's where Venom Prison kind of finds a sound. Otherwise it kind of is almost, you like, like like our bass player, he can kind of, like Jeff, he can pick it out. Like, like you were saying earlier.
0: So when there's a part that's a question mark, I guess, the respect and the communication between you guys is so strong that you will defer to each other's judgment.
3: Yeah, we know what each other's strengths are. So if there's if there's something I know that, that Ash will sort of have something really good to offer, um, then, then, then I'll sort of defer to him. If there's something we're both completely stuck on, quite often, you know, we'll just kind of bounce down several different versions of the song and sort of that's kind of when it gets emailed to the other other members of the band or sort of like a select few, um, just because sometimes too many cooks is a bit of a mess. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
0: Out of curiosity, I want to hear from both of you. Like, I'm curious what, like, Ash, what you think Ben's strengths are and Ben, what you think Ash's strengths are like when it comes to writing songs together or playing.
2: That's a really hard question. I think for Ben, whenever I'm writing a song, I can always, and especially when I'm demoing it, I'll always put a lead line down, but I never ever assume that's a lead line because I feel like I only put it there as a reference. I always know Ben is going to come up with something really cool for that section or if I'm getting to a point in the song where I'm like, I don't know, it needs a bit of space or it needs a moment to do, you know, just something more pulled back as such. And I kind of feel like I always know Ben does that better than me. And I know he's really good at those things. So it's kind of like, why force my idea of something like that on it when I know Ben's is going to be better? And I feel like that's kind of... it's weird it's almost instinctual like when i'm writing i just know when i get to a point in a song of like what it needs in that moment and sometimes i realize that it's not my style that could bring that moment if that Mm -hmm. makes sense yes and i think that's that's probably one of the most important things of writing in a band is just knowing that sometimes you aren't in control of every single thing that kind of happens it's creatively like Certain people have certain traits that bring that character and personality that you just don't have. And I think... That's exactly how we approach a song, you know
3: Ash is just incredibly creative and thinks out the box. That's always something that I kind of recognize from from sort of the early days. I mean I think Ash just kind of, well we have a saying, don't we? if I, if I hear something and I'm like, what the fuck is that? That's an Ash special And <laughs> yeah. uh, it is kind of like one of those one of those riffs where I know that he's not sat down and like, actually really solidified what the hell he's playing. The next take will be different, and the third one, even so. And then I have the job of tabbing it, because I do all the tabbing when we go into the studio, so I'm like, that's going to be fucking great fun to <laughs> not even Ash knows what he's doing there. And evolve, all sorts of crazy stuff, because it's so different to my style. Um, but it plays to his strengths, because Ash isn't sort of classically trained, uh, whereas I am, so in a way that's one of his biggest strengths, is to think outside the box. I might be thinking in numbers and counting, and he's just like playing how he feels. I think some of the yeah. best parts I've ever seen him write. I mean, I remember <laughs> in, in the early days, I think you know what I'm going to bring up. I was, like, I, I, was, I was in the control seat, and like we kind of switched spaces, and I like, <laughs> was just watching Ash, like high in a dressing gown in his Crocs, just play the most ridiculous, like chuggy beatdown style riff. Just like, I was just like, oh, just hit record, just. Kind of count in and do what you do, and you just like come up with it. Maybe occasionally I might possess those skills, but not not in the way Ash does.
1: <laughs> it's really good that you are able to identify both strengths and weaknesses in your playing, because I think a lot of people in bands just don't ever admit that they're wrong. And you know, it is a really difficult thing to do that, because obviously, if you've got an idea that you're really into and no one else is, then it's very difficult to back down sometimes especially for some people so the fact that you've already managed to sort that out and you're happy to hear opinions from each other uh, knowing strengths and weaknesses is a very positive environment to be around uh, in a band yeah definitely no
2: it, and like Ben said earlier we've been in you know bands in the past where things may have not worked as smoothly as that and i think you know venom prisons just kind of found that peace within the camp if you know what I mean there's no there's no hell
1: however one thing you did say though is that you sometimes there can be too many cooks so that that kind of is still there but you know how to not introduce that if it's not needed
3: yeah I could just about deal with one other person giving me input (laughs) into my writing (laughs) like it's something I've had to learn and I think that's probably another another one of Ash's strengths I, I can be quite a control freak and i can be quite um just incredibly protective of stuff that i've done as 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 ashes but i think i've kind of i think ash is a bit better at letting it go than, than than me and i think i've learned learned to be better at that because of you ash to be fair this is turning out to be quite the therapy session never talked about this have we
2: i was gonna say like <laughs> i think i'm having like an in- I feel like I've just finished work and walked into like an intervention or something. I really feel like this is
0: taking a turn, hasn't it? (laughs) Guitars (laughs) are cool, though. (laughs) Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. (laughs) You know, Brown, you know, what you were saying about being wrong. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem is that you're not always wrong, even if the other people don't understand the idea. Yes. Uh, So I found some of the unreleased demos for the Doth Concealers album the other day, the vocalist sent them to me and there's like 20 songs and, you know, only 11 made it to the record. I was listening to some of the early versions of the songs, stuff I had forgotten about, like stuff that got cut. And I remember at the time, some of the stuff got cut in the studio and me being like, what the fuck? But I went with it because it was like, you know, we uh, we have agreed that we are going to agree with the producer on some of the cuts. But some of the cuts, at the time, I was like, what in the fuck? But at the same time, I was like, I'm just being an egomaniac. There's a better opinion here than mine.
3: But it's painful, right? Well,
0: yeah, it can be painful, especially when 14 years later, you find... what got cut and you're like that shouldn't have been cut (laughs) so it's it's tough for me at least it's tough to know when am i being an egomaniac and when am i right yeah it's a really difficult line yeah sometimes you are just being an egomaniac sometimes the sometimes the majority is right they're not feeling a part the part sucks but uh Not always right. Sometimes they just don't understand the vision of where you wanted to take it.
3: I think maybe me and Ash find it so easy because we both play the same instrument. I think where you start having more challenges is when, you know, you've written a guide track for the bass or you've even actually taken quite a lot of time to program a drum demo. Um, I think that's probably... I mean, that's another challenge, I think. uh, Hmm. That can be harder to communicate, especially like like, if someone who didn't even play my instrument was sort of telling me exactly how to play it and what sounds better, there's part of me that would be like, well, how do you know?
1: (laughs) That happened to me on the, the, the recent album. And a part was changed via pitch shifting and it made the part almost physically
0: impossible to play. Like someone pitch shifted it for you and was yeah, like, was... here, Brown, do this.
3: Oh, the tables turn because usually it's guitarists yeah. programming insane drums that are impossible. <laughs> yeah. So how did that work?
1: So basically our vocalist Andy decided, oh, I want this chordal movement over this riff. So it changed like certain chords within the part. And, you know, when you pitch shift something quickly, the the point that is being made is it's going to be different because of tuning or whatnot. So basically I got given this part and I had to work it out, worked it out. And I was like, this is almost verging on impossible to play at this point now because of the way that the pitch shifting has changed certain courts. And then I was just told to man up. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: Classic.
1: In no uncertain
0: terms. I, I,
1: I literally at one point didn't think I was going to be able to play the part that was requested. And it did sound good. That's the problem as well. So I think that that's what gets lost in translation, not just between you know us programming drums for drummers and hoping they've got seventeen limbs, but you know the other way around too when you have certain people that maybe don't play the instrument and understand it as well as you do
3: i think our bass player has a similar sort of feeling when um when i tab out i tab out on this awful program i I can't use guitar pro but it, it doesn't it's designed for orchestras not for guitars so it doesn't quite understand fingering so like if you put you could be on like one string and then it just expects you to jump to like Twenty-four, or, or just something ridiculous, so they can come up with some really pretty wild shapes. I, I, you can tell when there's been a mistake, or it's not a mistake, because when you play it back, it sounds right. But you look at it and go, "No, that's not what it is."
2: No, it's just it's just me when I'm sat in my room trying to learn it, thinking, "How do you play that? Like, what on earth do you do here?"
3: <laughs> like you went cramp and you just took a picture yeah. in your hand. Oh, it's got to be this.
1: Like. <laughs> This also happened on the latest record, too, because one of the songs was written by a drummer, and even though he can play guitar, it's not that he can play it to a point where he would just track it at normal speed. So he tracked it at half speed, <laughs> and then it was like, this is not possible.
3: <laughs> I mean, I can blow a note on a trombone.
0: It doesn't mean I should put it on the album. Right? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, the, the problem, though, is if you're writing and you have a vision for a song that involves more than just your parts, Uh, I can't think of a better way to communicate it than to have a recorded version, because what, you know, just giving people sheet music, that doesn't exist. (laughs) Like, those days are gone. You say that. I'm saying that as someone who knows how to write sheet music, but just handing it to other players, it's like, that doesn't communicate the vision, at least not in a metal context, um, because very few people read. I mean, there are some people who read, but not like orchestral players. So
3: It's the difference between reading a book and watching a film, isn't it? Like if you totally. hand someone sheet music, it's always going to be their interpretation of what you've handed them. But if you hand them a recording, you know that they've heard exactly how you
0: intended that. Well, not exactly, because <laughs> if it's not the final production, yeah, you know, if like you're using like MIDI bass or... You know, you're doing, like, I want a drum beat that's, like, got this kind of feel to it, but I want you to make it cool. Or, you know, like, here's some MIDI bass. I, I want it to sound like you and feel like you, but, uh, like, I want it to be these kinds of notes, but can you make it cooler? Because you're better than me at this, so here's some roots or something, but make it cooler. So it's like you're not giving them the full vision, you're giving them some, like, blurry vision and then asking them to kind of understand where you want them to take it, but come up with something that's better than what you would have thought of. It's kind of a weird thing to try to communicate to people, but I just can't think of a better way than to give them a recorded sound. I don't think there is a better way.
3: I think, and you've just reminded me another of Ash's strengths when it comes to demoing, you're, you're a powerhouse for getting, getting stuff done. I tend to get bogged down with the perfect take, even at the demo stages.
2: Yeah, don't get, just don't get that demo Like, yeah. don't get it. There's nothing worse than being attached to a demo, because you walk into a studio and everything just changes, and you realise all that care and perfection on a demo meant nothing.
1: The worst part is when the demo sounds better than the final. Which has happened. Yes. And it might not even be that it sounds better. It's just that you got so used to how this particular version felt because you listened to it so like ten thousand times during the writing phase. Even if you take out like one guitar layer in one part and all of a sudden you're like, huh, this part's fucking empty. I don't like it (laughs) even though you made that decision at the studio and like I I think that making perfect demos is actually really bad for that and I've been where you've been before Ben too where I've spent so much time making sure that the demo portrays exactly what I want but also at the same time I've also been in the situation where we've recorded an album because you want to
3: sell it to the others don't you but you want that perfect thing to be like this is how i want my idea to be you get yeah i completely agree with you
1: but sometimes actually just leaving it for a little bit of interpretation afterwards as long as you get the actual vision the feel and exactly what you're trying to portray to like 80% then it gives you that little bit of extra movement just to make it that little bit better in the studio with other involvement from people.
0: That is why it's important though to not fuck around (laughs) and not capture DIs and stuff. I never do. (laughs) Because there are some things like, you know, if you like come up with a really cool clean sound or this like really interesting effects-based lead or something like that, that is created right then and there in the moment, in the moment of the creativity. Like you're writing the part based off of this effect that you're creating while you're writing the part, like on this weird loop, and the part gets better based on you tweaking the sound more, and you, like, get somewhere that you wouldn't have gotten without that tone, and it all works together, and then trying to recreate that, that's a, you made a patch out of it, just trying to recreate it, it's kind of impossible, and I mean, it is impossible, you'll have to create something else based on it, and it probably won't be as good. It might be, but it's important, I think, if you're doing pre-pro, if recording pre-pro, to take it seriously enough to be able to capture those things well. So get good DIs, make sure your guitars are in tune, like things like that. Just make sure that you take the basic precautions so that if you come up with something that is not recreatable, you can use it because it's not a big deal. If it is usable and it's better than what you did in the studio, it's a shame if you can't use it.
3: That's pretty solid advice, really. That kind of reminded me, Ash, do you remember doing pre-production for, I think it was Samsara, and there was this, because what you're talking about, how, how those effects are just captured in the moment without you even realizing. Do you remember I was wearing my watch? I was doing a clean part. Yeah. There was a lot of um, delay and reverb on this clean part. and. In between, the sort, it was this slow-tempo, single-note-pick bit over this quiet suspense before a heavy bit, and the the tick-tock of the watch picked up, didn't it? And it sounded absolutely perfect, and we tried to recreate that in the studio by hovering the watch over the pickup. It just sounded shit, didn't work. (laughs) But it sounded amazing on the demo, and I'm so bummed we never thought about just taking the wav.
1: It's really frustrating moments like that. There's um yeah many moments from probably hundreds of bands where that's happened.
0: You have to experience it in order to understand how devastating <laughs> it is to have something that cool that you can't use and then try to recreate it and it just sucks.
1: Happens with the biggest bands too. The Foo Fighters actually kept the demo of The Pretender rather than they tried recording it multiple times after that and they just ended up going with the one they recorded as just all of them together in a room. Has it turned out better?
0: Man, I remember when I uh, got to the studio with Colin Richardson, and he started importing stuff from my demo, and I was like, "This is usable, cool." I was like, "Holy shit, that's awesome! We can use the demo sounds for some of this." Fuck yeah! Because the stuff I tried to re-record for the studio just wasn't as cool. So I told him about that, and he was like, well, why don't we check out some of the pre-pro tracks? And he imported them. I was like, no, this works. That's when I realized, wait a second, you can do that. There's no rule that says you can't do that, but it should probably be in tune.
2: (laughs)
3: Which it probably isn't, in my (laughs) case. It's never in tune.
0: Ever tune, Yeah.
2: I normally just like pick my guitar up just randomly and go, Yep, yeah, let's just see if I can punch something out. And then I'll go, Oh yeah, you probably need to tune it. And I'm like, ah, you got the idea. You'll you got the idea, mate. You'll see it in the studio.
0: I've done that too. And I think it's one thing if it's riffs, right? Like if it's the stuff that you most definitely are gonna retrack, like without a doubt, you're gonna retrack it. Riffs, especially. But I feel like once you start getting into like those cleans those leads like all that stuff layers be careful
2: i agree there was something on that you've used then that was just from the pre-production on the new record as well i swear that you just used because it wouldn't be recreated probably i'm sure we've done it you know i'm sure there's like stuff in like some of the electronic and synth moments that there's guitar i'm sure there's a guitar lead in it that it was almost it sounded just like a synthesizer, but we knew it wouldn't be recreated, so we were like, "Oh yeah, just use that," you know, like. But I told Scott that that was a synth because
1: he would have made me re-record it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I but think... he's
2: it's mastered now. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? With Scott <laughs> Atkins.
1: Ah, uh, Mr. Atkins. Yeah.
2: Yes.
3: Because he was like, "Is that a guitar?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> I, I think he knew i mean he's obviously he's got you know incredible ears so he he must know i just think he's that uh, he's he, pick, he picks his battles so uh no because there were quite a lot of um bits weren't there There were sort of he'd come back and email and be like this synth part you've sent me doesn't match the lead it sounds out tune. the chords are clashing the notes here but the synth part sounds really good so can you change the lead um I was like okay, so I. There, there were points where we just just sent him a sent him. Um, uh, just cleaned the eyes on that.
0: yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it goes it, it back and forth, does
3: not it? it? Goes both ways.
0: Yeah, Ben, I want to hear about your forbidden riff. My forbidden riff. I- it says here in the notes in the pre-interview, Ben has a forbidden riff. He's not allowed to put in the oh. songs.
2: Fuck yes,
3: that
0: riff!
2: It was a joke
3: riff when someone invited themselves to band practice, and I just—do you remember?
2: Yeah, I I, I love the—I love the fact that you're saying, "Do you remember that? How could I forget the random man (laughs) that played bass at our practice? Yeah, in the early days, someone
3: just—it was like—it was a friend of our very first drummer, lovely guy, but it it wasn't meant to be. Uh, And I think he probably just needed a lift to get to practice and his friend just showed up and he had a bass and a backpack and just like, just plugged in and just, I started jamming along and we were kind of Just like like that. Is this happening?
2: (laughs) Honestly, like he was just like can you show me this part and stuff? And I've just frozen at this point. I'm like what the fuck is going on here? Like,
0: (laughs) okay, so just to make sure I understand like this dude that's not in the band that just gave your drummer a ride is there? He brought a bass with him, uninvited, and just plugged in. Absolutely yep. correct. Bold news. Yes. Fair play to him. Yeah, me. that is bold as fuck.
2: <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he had an awesome name as well. I'm sure he had like a cool as fuck name. I'm sure it was like Meat Bear or something. Yeah. And it was just like this massive dude with just a bass, and I was like. Well, here we are. We're at band practice. Like with can... our new
0: bassist. Well,
2: he was he was making me show him the riffs and stuff and I was oh, just man. I was like, Well, I don't need to because you, you don't play bass. Like what what like what do I do in this situation? Help me. But that riff, yeah, the forbidden riff. Do you know why I think that happened, Ben? Why? Is because we didn't want to show the songs. I think the truth is we couldn't be bothered to show the songs, so we had that. Weird, goofy riff that I hate, and then we all just jammed that same riff for four hours just to get band practice over with. And now you keep telling me you're going to sneak it into an album, and I'm like, You're not.
1: So
2: that's-
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's just a plinky, plonky, stupid. Bottom. It's just not the sort of thing we, we would typically do. Um, but it, I don't even know how to explain it. It sounds like a secret track
0: to me. That's what it oh. sounds like. We're on bass. Good save though. Just show the dude that riff. Well, what if he, he releases that, uh. it,
3: Ash, and like he he becomes super successful with the forbidden riff?
0: You you'll be it,
3: you'll be it.
0: Brown, you ever had one of those awkward ass situations? No, but our current bass player, his name's Swanee, He
1: actually showed up to an old band practice with my old band. He just turned up with his bass and then just sat there and didn't tried to plug his bass into the bass amp because <laughs> our bass player was there so he just was like yeah I'll just come along and he just got stoned out of his mind in the other room and didn't give a fuck
3: he should have just like stared your new bass player down just fucking stared him down like the entire time just super aggressive about it
1: but no there's not really been any weird situations like that where I've had to like
0: it's been uncomfortable
1: it's like we've
2: had to make a riff up on the
0: We had had a drum audition once that was super uncomfortable, super uncomfortable. It was a time period where we thought that we were going to replace our drummer. And so, and our drummer is real tough to replace. And we were just auditioning people. And there was some dude in town who uh, was like a metal drummer. And I didn't want to try him out because I had heard that he like, I heard that he had like a real bad like math habit and stuff. But, you know, you don't know these things. You know, I don't want to, like, just trust rumors because people talk shit. So we brought him over for a tryout. And we're like, here, learn these four songs off of the last record. So he showed up on time, but he had, like, 17 pieces in his drum set. So it took him, like, an hour to get it in the room, set up. And so we're just waiting around and waiting around and waiting around. And then once it's set up, then it's like it took him another 15 minutes to like get comfortable with it and then so eventually like 90 minutes went by they were all just standing there waiting for this idiot to get totally ready and we're like all right let's play the song this this song we started playing and he literally went two bars there's a song called ovum he went two bars and like looked like he was gonna fucking collapse. Uh, So he was like, wait a second, guys, wait a second, wait a second, do this again, try it again, like literally made it like a bar and looked like he was going to fucking die on us. We tried this like two or three more times and the dude was like sweating profusely, was like bent over, breathing really, really hard, never made it more than one measure. And we just were like, what do we do in this situation? Like, do we just be like, fuck off, dude, get out of here? We felt weird about being dicks because it was a very strange situation. And he had that, like, I'm high on uppers kind of energy. Like, so maybe I can pick up this entire drum set and throw it at you or pick up your (laughs) fucking full stack and drop it on your head kind of energy. (laughs) But also, like, we had to work. So we just kind of turned our backs to him and had, like, a drum-free band practice. And he just would, like, start playing for, like, a measure of something and then, like, almost die. And it was, like, two different practices going on in the same room at the same time. That lasted for about 30 minutes. And we we're like, all right, man, thanks. Awesome. Great work. So, yeah, we'll call you. <laughs>
2: Never <did it> <laughs> oh, well, you should have yeah. had a forbidden riff for that and played it four hours. That's what we did.
0: Just to- <laughs> That seems much worse.
2: Oh, it was. Because you, yeah. you have to keep doing it. Like, you really
0: into it. Yeah. See, we were like, if somebody comes in and sucks, we'll at least try to get through a song with them, give them the respect of like playing through a few songs and giving them and, you know, let them feel like it's an honest audition. But the dude couldn't play more than two measures. So it was like, what do we do here? This is really, really weird. That's about as weird as it's gotten. Well, you guys have been
1: in much weirder circumstances than I ever have I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I believe you. Yeah, nothing nothing that
0: weird. Nope. I guess because like when you like got a different drummer when Mike wasn't available. The good thing about the internet now you just Yeah, exactly. Send a video. (laughs) Yeah, the people you got were just godly in their own right. So
1: Send a video. That's it. Then you don't have to go through those awkward moments, you know. So (laughs)
0: <laughs> I love the time period we live in for that reason. What I described would never happen now. No. Because this, the song would be finished before you even got in the rehearsal room to test it out, right? Yeah, he would send us a video of him playing it. We would know well in advance if this person was worth even getting in a room with. So I'm guessing that's
1: how you guys started, eh? You guys, what, formed in 2015, right? Yeah. So did you, um, did you guys just get into a rehearsal room together or was it a case of you found each other through other bands or They're both really so you already know each other's skill set before you actually got together
2: yeah we knew each other's bands and stuff like i think me and ben have known each other longer than we probably think we have i'm sure like i've had this conversation with ben a million times
0: well how long do you think you have
2: you think about shows ben for example like you know there would have been a lot of shows that i was at that you were at at the point where I just think we probably lost touch for quite a long time, if that makes sense. I think we had
3: a different group of friends, didn't we? Like, because I, you, yeah, I I was kind of adopted by the South Wales scene, even though I wasn't really part of the South Wales scene at the time. But then I played in in a metal band from that area, so like, I'm sure you you were there at shows I played, but we just hadn't been introduced. It's, It's weird.
2: Yeah, and then I think you had toured with Larissa's band in your previous band and i think i remember just saying like oh let's put a band together and it was like oh i remember saying to larissa you know ben don't you because obviously you toured together and i was like i've always known ben from shows and stuff as you know in the bands he's played in but it'd be really cool to see if he wanted to do a band and i knew yours had just finished at that point So it was a case of let's just get in a rehearsal room and kind of see each other as people and play together. You know what I mean? So it was
0: like... So you're already aware of each other.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, yeah.
0: Let's shift what we're talking about to actual guitar playing now. So I want to hear about what you work on to be able to master the riffs for the band, like especially in the studio or live and what uh, you work on to be able to just play riffs great uh is there anything like uh what do you focus on
2: it's changed a lot to be honest for me it's really changed since being you know since recording Erebus with Scott it's kind of changed a lot of my ways and kind of ironed out some of those flaws I may have had in the past and he's just made me a lot more precise with my playing and you know it's hard to explain because it was more to do with the way he was Every time we were doing riffs and it was like, we would listen to the speaker and he'd always be like, if that riff isn't climbing out the speaker, you're not playing it clean enough. And it was like making me listen to things rather than, it wasn't so much technique, he knew I could do it. It was just listening to what the difference between a good take and a very good take was. And since he's kind of tweaked my ears to that so finely, even when I'm playing in a live you know, circumstance, I take into consideration when I'm getting to certain parts, like, you know, depending on what style of mute it, you know, needs, do I need to fully choke this? Am I? And it really locked in precision, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it was more like, it was ear training to identify where I need to move, you know, to just keep that clarity and keep it super clean. And he was just like, every time we were going through different riffs and sections in the record, like, we were just dialing in, like, getting the cleanest sound out of it by just using these different techniques and kind of, you know, playing certain things just differently to get that need, like, especially with, like, trem picking. there was everything, you know what I mean? It was just more hearing what the difference between good and very good is.
3: If you don't mind me saying, your biggest sort of advancement was sort of on, if we'd if been technical about guitar playing, your your palm positioning, it, it, was, it was for you, you... you really learned to manipulate the subtleties between a full choke, a chug, a sort of slightly muted. It was all your, um, yeah, it was night and day, the difference.
2: Yeah, it was just more like identifying it, wasn't it? It wasn't just more, oh, can I get through this section? Because I, I can get through these sections, you know, play to a click, live, anything. But it's the difference between knowing exactly where everything lands for that precision to make it as clean as possible and I think that was something maybe I overlooked a bit more than I should have in the past. And hearing the difference now when I just play
0: is so different, if you know what I mean. Brown, I feel like this is what we were just talking about with Putney. Yeah. Which is that it's really hard to understand this unless someone shows you. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Like it. sometimes it takes having a producer, an engineer, just, I guess, enlighten you to the difference. However, I do think that not everybody has that luxury of having an awesome engineer or producer to say that. And the closest thing you could do on your own in lieu of that is to record yourself and analyze analyze it. Like you record yourself. Does it sound like the guitar players you listen to? Like, does it sound that cool? No? All right. Well, start changing things about how you play it. Are you getting closer or further away from it? Kind of have to approach it like that if you don't have a sick producer being like no not good enough try picking more near the bridge
2: yeah and i think the moment that that penny drops as such and you kind of do hear the difference of just even just identifying the difference between it being good and great it, it is different you know what i mean like but mm-hmm. i don't think people and especially myself didn't realize the difference between something being good and great, because once you hear it great and it is jumping out that speaker and you can hear every definition of what you're actually trying to get across, I think that's the only time you know that it's tight. And and there's also
3: on top of good and great, there's the performance element too, especially when it comes to stylistically for, for leads or for, I mean, even for rhythm, like it can be, yeah, you hit the notes, it's bang on time, but there's just something about Capturing a flair, capturing a performance that you just, you know it when you hear it. And sometimes you can't verbalize it, but you just, just Mm -hmm. know. And then there's times where you think, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the one. And then it's like, no, go again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yes. Plenty of that.
0: Plenty. Take 1004. (laughs) Brown, how did you figure it out? Because you've never, you've always recorded yourself, so... Are you just a freak or something? Well, I know you're a freak, but like No, like how did you figure this out?
1: When you you know, you people listen to so much music. I'm sure this happened to both you and um Ben and Ash as well, is that When you listen to so much music, you're kind of trying to replicate or, well, replicate is probably the wrong word, but there's a certain feeling that you get from that music you listened to when you were younger or even now. And you hear a way that a riff is played. And for me, it's 1989, Battery Live by Metallica. Whenever I see that live video from Seattle, I'm just like, that just sounds fucking bonkers to me. Like everything about what Hetfield's doing is kind of everything that I've aspired to, to this point, because um, it's ridiculous. (laughs) And when I was listening back to like old demos, you know, mid 2000s, and I was just hearing it just wasn't really, it didn't sound right. Couldn't put my sort of fingers on what it was, but process of elimination, it's like, huh, muting's kind of shit. It's a little bit, you know, maybe I need more noise gate, but that wasn't it. It needed just tighter right hand. So it needed trying to find the points where it made it sound better. So it was going through that process. Why is this palm mute not really fat? Started moving around with the position of the right hand to see if that would help it. Or you know, turn up the bass, didn't work, move the right hand, see where it does that cab fart thing where it's jumps mm-hmm. so it was It was literally a long process probably over about six or seven years because i didn't have that producer telling me oh if you do this one thing it will make it better i had to go through the entire fucking thing <laughs> <laughs> to do it but um yeah just recording yourself basically the moment that you record yourself you realize just how fucking shit you are <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> you do it doesn't even matter even if you if you know uh, you, you think you're good in this moment, just record yourself and you'll go back down from cloud nine. <laughs> you know,
0: every single time. And I mean, look, if you record yourself and it sounds great, more power to you. Like, well, either you're delusional or you did a great job and awesome.
1: And then there's a big gray, air, the guitarist gray area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know many people that can really do a one take thing, you know, where it's like, that's the take in the first take. It's pretty rare, even for great players especially when it comes to recording an album in my opinion especially the more complex the music gets but that doesn't mean they're not a great guitar player it means they know what they want as well
0: yeah so which is really really important so now what about just the technical practice like let's talk about how you prepare for the studio like uh what are the things that you focus on in your playing
3: <sighs> i mean i obviously run through the songs and I I've, I've I've done them but I'm far more focused on on the actual songs themselves. I, I think I've kind of I always have a confidence because I've already punched it in to a reasonable standard for pre-production. But there's so much to what we've been doing. There's a lot more to it. I'm I'm literally scrambling to get the tabs ready to be honest, like every time. I it's it's the leads I I will I will rehearse a lot more, but without sounding like a dick there there were points in the studio where I'm I'm literally sight reading the tabs that I've done
2: yeah I think I I understand what you mean as well because it's kind of how I feel before going into the studio that when you're writing and you're so like just immersed in you know, a record that you're writing, you're still kind of writing even as you go into the studio. Like, I still have no problem with things changing the day I walk through that door. Like, (laughs) it doesn't bother me at all. Like, you could change something in that moment and I'm fine with it. But I don't stop thinking about that until, you know, we finally leave the whole studio session and everything's wrapped up. And I think for me, it's just mainly just knowing that I'm prepared enough to know the songs to still know that my mind is free enough to still be creatively thinking about the songs.
3: That makes sense. Yeah, that does.
2: So for me, it sounds really bad, but where I should have been thinking about the technicalities of what I'm going to be doing, I'm always more stuck in the creative side. Like I don't really think too much ahead about that. I'm like, right, do I know the songs? Is my mind free enough to still think about changing things? Yes.
1: Makes sense. That's actually smart.
2: And just know that I have no attachment until it's finished. Is that If you know what I mean? Because I feel like that is what I always say demo-itis is. It's when you walk into a studio set on your demo and it's like, well, release it then.
0: You know, <laughs> what I, I think is wiser than practicing the parts of the songs until they're fucking perfect. If you know that, you know, it's one thing if the band knows that nothing is going to change, you're just going to record better versions of the same exact thing. Then, okay, it makes sense. Practice the parts like note for note and get them perfect. What I think is the smartest way to do it, if you know that things are going to change, you're open to change, like you're expecting change, is to just make sure that you're good with your playing. Like, regardless of the parts themselves, you know, like, are you, are you on your A game as far as your playing goes? So sometimes people will write and will forget to practice like, you know, they're down picking or they're alternate picking or any of that kind of stuff. And I just found that it helps me to enter a studio situation where I'm like good with that stuff. I've been putting enough time into it over the past month or so to where Anything can come my way as far as a change to the song goes, and I can just deal with it. My playing isn't going to be the issue. That's kind of my goal.
2: You need to go in competent enough with the songs already. You definitely need to do that. And I think that's exactly what, you know, the tabs land before we go to the studio. And I think we just drill them in over and over again, making sure that, you know, even if things do change, that... I know everything enough beyond that, so it doesn't really matter. It's like that moment can change. I know what the next moment is already in this song, as such. But yeah, it's it is all about just knowing that things are going. Well, I don't, I can't dictate if they are going to change for other people, but when we go in, I always know that there is never a problem with something changing in that moment.
3: We're, we're kind of used to it. Just sort of bouncing back ideas in the writing. I think the the guy that finds it the most difficult is our bassist. He's he's sort of <laughs> he, he'll sort of protest like, well, that's not what I learned. Um, yeah. saying it that way
2: either.
3: Well, but, yeah, it's like I, but it, I, he gets cross about it. He's like, Well I've been practicing it this way forever, but
2: I love it when he says that though, and it's like this this isn't what I learned. I was like, No, because it's a different riff, obviously. Like, like, like no shit, it's not what you that learned. That isn't what you learned. No, like I'd be more concerned if you thought this is what you learned.
1: <laughs> it's quite interesting to me as well, like the, the bass player, because from the, the style of music that I come from generally the bass is tracked mostly by the guitars because it has to be that super mechanical kind of every little nuance can't be different otherwise it sounds kind of wrong um so the bass player doesn't learn it till after the studio's done (laughs) unless it's like a pop slap bit or something then yeah, he'll throw himself in.
2: I don't think Jeff's never not recorded his own base on anything Venom Prison-related, has he? I think he's done everything.
1: Yeah, maybe a few
3: bits, and like, the, that he's not had time to learn or something's changed. But, like, like yeah. yeah, I mean... Erebus he did everything. Yeah, absolutely everything.
2: But then he had more freedom. Like he kind of there was a lot more space in this record for him to have moments of freedom to kind of write his own little bits and stuff, wasn't there? So
3: there, there were a lot of bits where the the guitars kind of step back and there's a bit more room for the bass to take sort of centre stage. Yeah, "Pain of Ozi's" is the verse is pretty much just bass and piano, and I think he he really enjoyed that actually. I think, no,
2: it, I think it's for good. him to
3: feel satisfied as a musician. I, I don't think he'd be the type of bassist to to just kind of act as a as a session member, if that makes sense. He he he's all in. He's absolutely all in.
1: Yeah, just gets annoyed when his bass part has to change, <laughs> which
2: happens all the time.
1: He just hates
3: he hates change. He just hates change generally. Yeah,
1: he does. He does
2: hate change. <laughs>
1: I've got to be honest, I've definitely been in those moments of protest too. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can be frustrating. It can be. When your drummer plays a part that doesn't make sense with the guitar anymore. Oh, that happens.
3: Or uh, (laughs) a different beat for each chorus in the same song.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That that always, yeah. That's that's brave. We've had that conversation. (laughs) Yeah. I, I I remember dropping the message, just being like, hey, man just want to let you know cool cool parts but like that is a chorus that you play three different beats on
0: and he was like oh
2: i thought i could change the beat on each chorus so i was like well not not really man." <laughs> <laughs> Not, not really. It's not how it works, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm trying to make a chorus here. <laughs> it's like one version was like double down with kicks, one version was blast, and one version was DB. And I was just like, it changed the dynamic to every chorus. And it was like the most unidentifiable chorus I've ever heard in my life.
3: Yeah, it, it wasn't like the halftime final chorus, was it? It was everyone. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love him. I love him. I do. I do love him. I, I admire his uh, creativity.
0: <laughs> Brown, what do you do to get ready for the studio? Uh, panic. Okay, That's, that's a good yeah.
1: start, usually. For me, the writing is happening up until the point of actually doing the finals. Generally because, you know, time, restraint. I always like to have a schedule when it comes to writing an album, otherwise it just goes on for years. I'm sure you guys have been in that situation where you're just like, yes, just write a song here and there. We'll get the album done eventually. It'll be done. Now, I I like to say, I need to get the album done on this date. And so I'm normally writing up until the week of the final tracking happens. So generally that's my preparation, panic. (laughs) 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 And then just playing guitar throughout the entire time, just writing. Again, like Ash, I'm very open to things changing. I'm one of these people that even, you know, the music's quite complex, but I actually like those moments of inspiration that happen in a studio, capturing moments. I think it's been lost a lot with a lot of metal. You know, when you listen to like an Incubus album and you can hear a hi-hat that's slightly out of time, but it's like the rest of the tape was good. I'm really into that. So if something happens in the studio where like there's a slide or something or a noise or Maybe I played the wrong note there, but it's like, oh, that's really cool. Then I'll fuck up everyone else's day, and they can change their <laughs> part.
3: <laughs> it's a human element to it in a genre yeah. that's quite mechanical, isn't it? You know, there's, yeah. and I think that's probably half of trying to sort of decipher in your in your writing, and when you listen to other bands that sort of you take influence from, is like, why is this? Why is this inducing emotion in me? I, you kind of want to. Yep. You either you can't verbalize it, or you do your best to kind of break down. What is it about that part? Is it the the chord progression? Is it that vocal? Is it that drum? Is it the sudden change? What is it that that's kind of promoting that emotion? And you try and replicate that. I think that's that's the struggle, isn't it?
1: It's really difficult. Yeah, especially in a in a genre as you say that's like mechanical, like metal, and also done to a you know control cue metronome <laughs> <laughs>
0: doesn't have to be
1: no it doesn't I mean chaos Vib, sugar, there's not even a click track on it and it's fucking the tightest fucking thing in the world but yeah so when I go to the studio it's just planning those moments basically thinking about how can I make a noise in this moment that's going to piss everyone off but I'm just going to keep it anyway
3: <laughs> animus we nearly had without a click didn't we
1: Oh, you have an album called Animus. That's strange. We have a song called Animus.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hang on a minute. This did we have click or not click on that album? I can't even.
3: We we had no click for the first day of drums. You guys should fight. We now. had no click. <laughs> fight for the best Animus. <clears throat> Yeah, we had no drums for certain. No drums. We had no click um, for the uh, first day. Oh yes. Then we did one song, and it's like, let's try a click with this one, and it sounded much better.
2: Because I sat, I sat in the drum room and tracked half the records, didn't I, without like a click? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what a load of waste of time I was. <laughs> so basically, <I>
3: was... <laughs> our drummer at the time had to redo everything again, but to a click. Yeah. Wow! That was, oh, was a waste of studio time
2: and money. No, it was a waste of playing guitar for a whole day without like, click in the drum room. And then it was...
3: Oh, you were
0: guiding
2: <laughs> him too. I, yeah. yeah. I was sat in the bloody drum room with him.
0: Oh, that sounds terrible.
2: Yeah, it was. It was a whole day of it. And then it was like, yeah, we're not using these drums. And I was like, wicked. Like,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so like we've established that like songwriting is the priority, but... You do have to have something technical that you work on. There's got to be something like you do to warm up, something you do to make sure that like your down picking is on point. Like, I'm curious what that is. Play the forbidden riff for four hours, man. There you go. Perfect.
2: (laughs) If you, yeah, if you play that riff for four hours, you'll tackle anything. Um, No, but um, for me, I think, yeah, like I never really come from a technical side of playing guitar. Like I just really, you know, is weird, like, I know, as cliche as it sounds, I just liked music as a kid and I just wanted to play guitar because I liked people that were playing guitar in bands. And I picked a lot of it up. I never had lessons. I just sit there with an Iron Maiden CD and, like, my dad's CD player and just really badly try and guess and play along. And, like, you know, a couple months later, then I was like, oh, wow, that riff's actually come out. And I also... I don't know, like, I always just went with the feeling of things. So it's, it's more to do with, like, if I'm just playing a song and it sounds, you know, like you were saying earlier, like, if you're playing a song and it sounds like that person you aspire to be, then you're kind of getting to a point, if you know I mean, if you know what I mean. I'm mm-hmm. not, I, I couldn't say I'm terrible at sitting down with, like, books and going through these warm-ups and all this. Like, if I want to warm up, i just probably play, like, a Scorpions
0: riff or something. Well, there you go. I mean that's the answer I was looking for it's like what do you do you gotta yeah. do something
3: yeah yeah.
0: that's literally it
3: you know? it's rocky like a hurricane check every time
2: <laughs> yeah because like that's the vibe I want to bring you know so I gotta do it <laughs> it's
3: like oh I should set up I better hurry up
2: yeah like I just think like I could be there and I could be sweet picking for 10 hours and doing all this mad tapping shit or I could just play you a cool ass riff that everyone goes yeah that's a good riff and I'm like yeah I know
0: that's, that's, that's why what I'm about you, Ben? Uh,
2: I
3: I wish I had the discipline to practice. I I can honestly say I I haven't played guitar very much <laughs> in the last since we were in the studio. Honestly, like I I spend more time pl- like I've got a banjo my dad gave me. That's been fun. <laughs> I I just kind of without being all negative and and hard on myself. I just know that I'm not going to be the most technical guitar player and know, there's like, I mean, if you look at the names you've had on this podcast, you know, it's
0: like, wow. Not all of them are like super technical. So, like a, a lot of people you would think are, uh, have this answer too to this type of stuff. Like that's across the board. Some people approach guitar, like it's a military exercise and some people do it just by feel. Some people, you know, everything in between. So I'm just curious about what you do.
3: And maybe then I'm I'm by feel. I, I I don't know. I I can't can't really explain. Maybe I mean yeah. Everyone's got a warm up riff. Maybe like an old an old riff from an old band. I'm quite sort of attached to that. Never really went anywhere. I'll kind of revert to that for a sound check. Everyone's got that familiar riff. But I don't particularly practice. Leads that much because I've never felt I'm very good at it. So, like, there's always going to be someone else better, especially at a sound check. I'm not going to try and do like. Some fucking mad tappy bit because 'cause I'm just gonna embarrass myself.
2: <laughs> and then you know I'm just walking past going, Whatever, just play scorpions. Exactly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> fucking grow up, just play yeah, fucking really, rip. Grow up. Just yeah, like, that is, like that's how just, I feel though. Like sound check is there to sound check. I, I know the question wasn't wasn't about sound check.
0: Well, where does the classically trained part come in that you were talking about earlier?
3: I was a chorister when I was well, when I my voice hadn't broken like I, I come from a, a church singing background like um and I, I still maintain to this day some of the best music ever written is choral music it taught me everything about cadences harmonies, suspension just some of the most creepy wild shit was sang in churches and, and I swear if these people who compose that stuff were around now they'd all be headbanging to metal too because I feel like it has far more in common with that um so I I had that background I had piano I had clarinet I had a bunch of other instruments I had so I I think maybe having that background I'm, I'm probably more technically um and in theory versed in in piano if you told me play this mode in this key on guitar I would not be able to tell you but if you sat me in front of a piano I'd probably be able to do it um that's that's kind of my background but I because that I suppose that's the difference I had the classically trained in those areas of, of my life but guitar was like an escape from that because that, that was mm-hmm. all very disciplined at, at the music school I was at and I used to resent it. I used to like because they had they took you out of school and put you in a practice room, and it was like I mean I'd love that now if it take me out of work and put me in a fucking practice room, brilliant. But like at the time, <laughs> I was ungrateful. But like yeah, they sit you in your room, and it's like right yeah you 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 get to have half the amount of maths or whatever to perfect your instrument. But like I just used to hate it because it was forced on me. I was like the the, the kid at school. I was like, oh no, I that. so I just like in the storage room there'd be like other people's instruments, and like I wouldn't even ask permission. I'd just like take out everyone else's shit and just start trying to play the the guitar or whatever. And I thought oh, I'll give this a go because I'm getting pretty bored of piano and singing. So <laughs> yeah, it's weird. So I never had lessons in in, in guitar. I think my dad, who's an amazing guitarist and similar to me sort of I mean he, he's better than me way better than me like he's amazing. keyboards are his main instrument but like uh he showed me like a few chords I, I would have expected him to teach me more really but he just showed <laughs> me a few chords and I kind of just Thanks, like Dad. yeah left it at that really
0: yeah had to have rubbed off though like uh the level of training and uh understanding of music even if like you say you don't know the modes or whatever on a guitar like still your ear i can hear it yeah you can't ditch your ear like and your brain that stuff comes with you
1: that's where a lot of guitar players kind of sort of lose it with theory against actually playing the instrument where you've managed to separate it which is actually a good thing if anything because a lot of guitar players just get stuck in box shapes and don't really go outside of the norm
3: and i think that comes back to what we talking about earlier wasn't it ash it's like we have both a very different approach
1: like it's very similar in its own
2: sense, though, if that makes sense, where like it isn't technically minded right, and I'm not thinking about you know what's right and wrong. I'm thinking about what sounds good to me, mm-hmm. and that's the only way I write a song. like someone will say, like, "Oh, you can't do that." And I'm like, "Well, I like Why? it. <laughs> yeah
3: Does it command emotion? If so, it's a winner.:
2: Yeah, it's like when it's like, oh you can't do that, I'm like, well, it's really heavy. And they're like, no, it doesn't work because you jump into. I'm like, well, what's your point? Like, what's, what's going on here? Like, but yeah, sometimes I feel like if you do get so bogged down in that technicality and theory, you do lose that, you know, humanity, personality and feeling to really what people are looking for in songs, you know, mm-hmm. they're not always looking at songs in binary codes, you know, they're. Trying to connect to
1: it, you know? Some people do like my sugar. That's, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the problem, isn't it?
2: Yeah. That's the problem, isn't it? My sugar exists, and now we're all looking at binary coding. Was it, was <laughs> it
3: the hard times that did the uh, satirical headline, the sugar is actually Morse code and the drummer calling <laughs>
1: the guitar player's asking for help. <laughs> Some one yes. of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, I didn't see it, but. That sounds hilarious.
1: Oh, dude, you, you know, you know, the hard times, right? Where they just, yeah, some, of course, Oh, dude, that one made me cry. I definitely laughed very hard at <laughs> that one.
0: <laughs> it might stressing. be more code. Well, Ben and Ash, I think this is a good place to end the episode. I want to thank you guys for taking the time to hang out with us. It's been a pleasure talking. To you. Thank you for having us as well. Thank you.
1: Good hangs. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rivar Podcast.
3: We'll see you